0: Well, go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to uncharacteristically cover a lot. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're going to be covering 1434 through the end of the chapter, which is only two verses. And then 151 uh, through 20, because they all cover one So, uh, open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Now, if you had to tell me where you thought the, uh, the Pharisees started going wrong or where they went wrong more specifically, I don't know what you would say. We've gotten a lot of hints about it throughout Matthew chapter 14. I'm sorry, throughout the gospel of Matthew uh, we've, we've gotten ideas that Jesus has thrown around in Matthew chapter six and he started using this term hypocrites and, uh, that's really where they started going wrong. Matthew chapter six and two, six, two and six, five. So, the, this hypocritical nature is not one that was built in a day. It's actually something that that happened through countless generations of Pharisees. Uh, they, they had studied up on all things Bible. They knew what the Bible was, they, well, the Old Testament was. They, they were very clear uh, on, on how they should live in response to it. But unfortunately, and very sadly, they weren't actually living with what God had required They had started living out um, their traditions more than a biblical faith. So today we're going to see uh, another hint. It's not the whole of the Pharisees issue. We'll get to that at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. But we're going to see another hint at what was going wrong. With the Pharisees, um, and we're going to see a distinction between how the crowds approach Jesus and how the Pharisees approach Jesus. We're going to see the depth of their hypocrisy, and I'm going to warn you—it's really deep. So, spoiler alert: their hypocrisy is great. So, let's go ahead and read Matthew fourteen thirty-four to fifteen twenty. And when they had crossed over they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all in that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that he might touch only the fringe of his garment, or that they might touch only the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jer- Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and where, where, or whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites." Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So starting off at the end of chapter 14, we have to remember that Jesus just went through an incredible storm with his apostles. He sent his disciples into the storm, appears to them walking on water. Uh, and, and after quite an experience for Peter, they, uh, they, the, the storm ceases. So they end up coming to Gennesaret. Um, which is probably one of the hardest to say towns in Greek, uh, because then the people would be the Genesarenes, and that's, that does not flow off my tongue very well. But they arrive there, and chances are the Gennesarenes have actually seen the storm that was out on the, the lake, and they'd probably seen it dissipate. And that's not exactly usual. When storms hit, they usually travel across. But in this instance, it stopped. So they get there. The disciples are probably really tired. And if you remember, it was probably about six in the morning that they, that they uh, had Jesus arrive to them walking on water. So this is early morning. The Genneserines see this boat dock, which is probably not a very impressive boat. So they, they, they see him and maybe they start asking, you know, who, who are you guys? Where did you come from? And when Jesus gets introduced, it turns out that Jesus' reputation has preceded him. So they go about and they start gathering everyone they have uh, around them who's, who's sick and they, they start bringing them to Jesus. And these people are coming, and it says that they, impl- they they just want to touch the hem of his garment. Now, previously Jesus has heal, healed a woman who was bleeding in her head uh, and, and had a discharge uh, for several years, and all she did was touch his garment. It's possible that they've heard of this. But it's actually more probable that they're trying to honor Jesus, and this is what happens when when somebody honorable in this culture appears. Everybody crowds around them and all they want to do is they just want to touch the garment. They just want to show, like, I'm devoted to you. I I I trust you. I I know that you are a good leader, a good teacher. You're, that's that's what they're probably doing. They're 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 trying to not just get healing, although it's the sick people that are going, but they're trying to honor him. They're trying to show him or show that he is uh, a teacher worthy of listening to. And so Jesus responds to their faith by healing graciously everyone that touches him. And chances are, this is actually uh, a lot of people that are unclean by ceremonial standards coming to him and touching him. They're laying their hands on him, but they're walking away clean, cleansed. So I I want to make a note that nobody should come to Jesus expecting that when they come near him today that they're going to be freed of all their earthly troubles or freed of their disease or freed of anything. We, We shouldn't come expecting earthly relief, but instead, when we go to Jesus now, we should be expecting true relief, which is salvation from our sins. Also, I want to point out that that those who had not been blessed by Jesus, but had only heard of him, were going around and gathering people. And that's that's really the way it works, because when Jesus has a good reputation, people want to go to him. People want to tell other people about him. People that don't even know him want to tell other people about him. This This is why families who were not believers in generations past in our culture used to try and get their alcoholic family members to go to church. They themselves didn't go to church, but hey, you know, uh, Uncle, uh, you know Uncle Bob, who's a total, total drunkard, maybe, maybe church would help him. That used to be the case. That's not the case now. It's not the case now because, frankly, because of Christians, Jesus has a really bad reputation And I'm not saying we need to save face, but I am saying that those of us who are Christians need to bear a brunt of that reputation problem. It's not Jesus who has a bad reputation because of Jesus. It's Jesus who has a bad reputation now because of Jesus' disciples, and that's us. So I just want to point those couple things out, that these guys had not actually received anything from Jesus. And they went around and they told people and they said, hey, hey, sick people, sick people get healed by him. Go to him. You who has cancer, you who has a cold, you who has, who has uh, leprosy, you need to go. Go see this Jesus. Man, he might be able to help you. So then after, after all these people come and Jesus is very kindly healing all these people that touch the, the fringe of his garment... Then the Pharisees and scribes come. Oh, the lovely Pharisees and scribes. And it would make sense that they would come. Because here we read that they're actually coming from Jerusalem we read that in 151 and it would make sense that you would send the pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem because they would be the most educated the most intelligent the most the most biblically astute and so you would send the pharisees to to go evaluate these new teachers these people who were coming from far away because ultimately the goal at the time would be to recruit these new teachers these itinerant ministers You would want to recruit them into the ministry of the Pharisees. It would also make sense because you would want to find out, is this person teaching well, or is this teaching, this person teaching heresy? So they were probably coming to test him. Maybe not with malice, but they were probably coming to test him. Uh, Jesus's reputation has obviously preceded him in terms of his healing ministry. And I can guarantee that the things he said about the Pharisees have also been circulated. So might be some mixed motives here, but it makes sense that the, Repti- or the, the, the Pharisees would go. They would, they, they, they would want to recruit him, maybe, see if he's worthy. But that was not Jesus' goal. That was not actually the Messiah's goal. He was not trying to get recruited into the Pharisees. He was enacting the plan of salvation that he and his father had, had, had done before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. And when they meet this Jesus guy, they, they, they see something that they find a little odd. They see, uh, they, they, they see that he's, he's not following this tradition and they they kind of say it in a in a way that lets Jesus attack. <laughs> they say why 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 do your disciples not follow the tradition of the elders? This this tradition that the that that our forefathers have done. They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus makes clear that their real problem is that they're conflating tradition over God mandated biblical commands, doctrine. That's in 1520. But uh, I want to point out that Jesus is not against proper hygiene. That's not, that's not the issue here, right? He's not saying that you guys, when you go to lunch, you should not wash your hands. No, that's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. And frankly, I, I did see a meme about this not too, not too long ago about washing your hands for COVID. That's not, that's Jesus is not Saying that you should not wash your hands. But 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 what he's against is when people take a tradition, something that, that, that you have learned through other people, and conflating it to the level of doctrine. That's what Jesus' problem is here. The Pharisees had make had, had made their tradition and God's decrees synonymous. And Jesus responds to the Pharisees by pointing out their hypocrisy, Uh, even even the use of the word uh, hypocrisy in the English. But but the but in verse seven, he says, you hypocrites by the Greek word, uh, hypocrites, right? Uh, A a hypocrites was actually an actor, a person that would put on a mask for a drama and they would go and pretend to be someone they weren't. Um, not necessarily for a formal thing either. A lot of hypocrites would wear their masks as they went around town, trying to get into character, and they would act like their character as they went around town. And everybody knew who the hypocrites were because they were wearing a stupid mask. But Jesus is saying that the Pharisees, they're hypocrites of a different caliber. They're hypocrites that need to be called out. They're hypocrites that people aren't really recognizing them for. But Jesus is saying that the Pharisees are basically putting on a performance of godliness. But they're really just making this performance an excuse to disobey God. In verse four, you see, uh, for God commanded, honor your father and mother, uh, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone has, tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. That was actually a, 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 a rabbinic, uh, saying so you as a son, you have a duty to take care of your father and your mother, to honor them, to not just leave them in squalor. But, but hey, you know what? If you take what you would have had to give to your father and mother and instead say, it's devoted to God, then you are without responsibility. Well, turns out, the fifth commandment is still binding. <laughs> There's still there's still a requirement to do this, even in this time that that there's not just an easy way out. It's not you can't just like say, well, you know, this money that I was going to send to mom and dad because they can't afford food. It's Corbin. It's dedicated to God. I'm no longer obligated to send it. Nope. Fifth commandment is still binding. Hate to tell you. So the uh, the the Pharisees were finding ways to ignore the commands of God. But they were also finding ways to make people believe their new traditions. So uh, Jesus calls out their hypocrisy, that they're somehow excusing themselves by Pharisaical tradition. Uh, They are doing what Paul Paul says not to do in Romans 3.23. Well, he actually calls out the Romans on doing it. He says that, that they're boasting in their obedience to the law by breaking the law. Very ironic. And Jesus' uh, statement there, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. That's actually a, that's, that's very emphatic. In the Greek, Jesus is essentially saying, so for the offering you're making to your tradition, you're making void uh, the word of God. The one you, that you should be giving an offering to in your obedience you're 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 telling him that his voice doesn't matter and you're instead obeying your command or your tradition. So I want to ask, what are some traditions that you've heard that have been ex, uh, that, that have been raised to the level of godliness? What are some things that you have heard? What maybe some family traditions, right? Like this time this year, I every time do this one thing. What happens if you mix, miss Thanksgiving? Are you ostracized? Or in a Baptist church like we are, or like we're in, what happens if you drink? Because if somebody drinks, they cannot be saved, obviously. Or even worse, what if they dance? <sighs> <laughs> so there are traditions that have been conflated even in our tradition, Even in in our Baptistic tradition, things that are not God's word that are put to this level, that frankly, if you do it, man, I doubt that you were ever even saved. We, we, as Baptists, have a history of being called Pharisaical by non-Christians. And frankly, sometimes it's right. So when Jesus makes this charge against the Pharisees, so for the sake of your tradition, meaning you, you, you are taking this, this thing that you've been taught and, and you are making it invincible to God's word. You're you're saying that your tradition trumps God's word. It is more important than God's word. You ever, you, you ever study the, uh, the gangster era of the 1920s? Uh, there, there was a. There, there, basically the mob bosses were untouchable. You could not approach the mob bosses. You had to go through all these different channels to get to the mob bosses. They, the, they, they became untouchable by the law because frankly the law couldn't see them because there were so many people that would take the fall before they, before it got to them. And it's until the FBI found a way to mess them up. But, but nonetheless, the Pharisees we're saying that their traditions were essentially untouchable that's the way they acted that's the way they lived so i want to challenge you if your traditions trump god's word that they if you have a tradition even a theological tradition that cannot be examined by god's word then honestly your worship may be to a foreign and made up god like the pharisees See, the Pharisees were not actually worshiping God. They were worshiping their traditions. That's that's the condemnation of Jesus's statements, his response. When when he says uh, when he says in verse three, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Or when he says again later, uh, why do you make void the word of God for the sake of your tradition? See, for the sake of, again, means that they're offering. They're making an offering to this other God. So what, what traditions are you making offerings to in your own heart and your own mind that are not biblical? I have a couple examples in my head, but I don't, I, I don't, I don't like them. So anyway, moving on. Uh, so what does hypocritical worship look like? Hmm? Well, we see it in the quotation of Isaiah in uh, verses eight and nine, when Jesus says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, and he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. So what does vain worship look like? Well, it's honoring only with the lips. Maybe it sounds holy, but there's no heart affection. There's no, there's no repentance. There's no desire to leave sin behind. There's, there's, well, you know, God can have these sins, but these sins he just cannot touch. These things that, are, uh, that, that, that I know are destructive to my spiritual life, but frankly, I will not ever give them up. It's honoring only with the lips. It also looks like a heart that's far from God. Uh, there's no adoration of God. There's no reading God's word. There's no there's there's no submission to Him. Instead, it's well, you know, I I, I like God, but I don't really love Him, so I'm just going to keep Him over there. It also looks like self glorifying worship. Uh, Jesus, or rather Isaiah says, "In vain do they worship Me. In vanity, in vanity, in self glorification." It's, it's that uh, vain worship looks like the, the worship that wants to look good in appearance, uh, appearance of godliness, but not looking to show God is glorious. Uh, it's like when, when I hear people say, well, you got to wear your Sunday best. Why? Well, I want to give my best to God. Why? That's Dressing in uncomfortable clothes is nowhere commanded in scripture except when you're lamenting. And that's in sackcloth and ashes. So if you want to lament your sin, go ahead, put on sackcloth and ashes, and you know what? I won't judge you. (laughs) Nobody here should judge you. But there's no biblical mandate to do that. That is, by the way, another tradition that you have to dress up for church on Sunday. That's that's just not true. That's just not anywhere in the Bible. And lastly, vain worship is teaching traditions as synonymous with God's commands. It's a, stub, a stubborn hard-heartedness to change that, turn, that that turns away from the word of God as sufficient. and every person has traditions that they hold sacred, right every person has something sacred to them whether whether, whether it be you can only ever do church in a sanctuary or or uh, you can only ever um Do Bible studies that don't have video, or 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 something sacred in your house, like you have to put the toilet seat down. No, that's just sanitary. Which is that's okay. I'm not going to touch that one. That's not a tradition. But there's certain things in your household that you hold sacred. Maybe it's fine china, maybe it's, maybe it's a section of the house that's only ever reserved for, for reading, or uh, no music, or maybe you've got time in your day where it's like, oh, from two to four, we have to be silent, like monastic monks. Anyway, there's some form of sacred traditions that you have, but you should have nothing as sacred in your life as the word of God. May our human traditions crumble to the siege weapon that is God's word. If there's anything in your life that cannot be examined by God's word, that you would rather shut the door, lock it, put a, you know, bolt up a whole bunch of uh, boards to so that God's word cannot peer into it. Frankly, you need those doors broken and you need to repent. Now moving on, Jesus calls people to him to display more of the Pharisees' hypocrisy. That's 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 verse 10, and he called the people to him and said to them, "Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person." Now, why did the Pharisees get offended there? It's because that's what they were all about. They were all about how, how grand of, of believers of the God of the old Testament. They were, they, 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 they had these wonderful displays of hypocritical prayer. They, 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 they only ate certain food. They observed all the fasts and all the feasts and they were so grand, Now, pause. The reason that the Levitical laws were created in the first place was to show God's people as distinct from the rest of the land. But the Pharisees were taking those same Levitical and Deuteronomical laws and they were enacting them on themselves to show how wonderful and distinct they were from the rest of God's people. That is hypocrisy, that is self glorifying worship. Jesus is trying to draw attention to the Pharisees' behavior He's, when he says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. He expands this in verse 19 uh, to mean what comes out of the heart. What comes out of the, ha- of the mouth is actually what comes out of the heart. So it's not just the words that he uses. In fact, the only, the only spoken thing that Jesus lists is, uh, is false witnessing, which implies lying. But he's, he's, he expands it to mean a whole litany of things. Uh, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Those are the things that, that, that rousing in, in the, the, the pot of the heart become a boil and they come out of the mouth eventually. They steam out. They steam out in our affections and our actions. That's what defiles a person and that's why the pharisees are offended because Jesus is calling them out and then when the Pharise- or when the apostles come and they say ah uh, hey Jesus don't you know how bad you offended the pharisees don't you know they were kind of ticked off by you about that what does Jesus say he he, he says duh <laughs> that's essentially what he says he, he says, let them alone, or I'm sorry, he, he answers first, every plant that my heavenly father has, has not planted will be rooted up, meaning the Pharisees. The Pharisees are not something the father has planted. The Pharisees in all their holiness and tradition were not something planted by the father. Therefore, they're going to be rooted up. And then verse 14, let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Jesus commands his apostles to let them alone. His greatest opponents, the guys that inevitably get Jesus killed, let them alone. We need that same faith, friends, that nothing is going to thwart God's plan. Therefore, it's acceptable to let alone some opponents. This has been an awful year. It's been an awful year for everyone. It's been an awful year for anyone that opposes anything that you, that we don't agree with. We 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 have this innate desire almost especially with the avenue of the internet where you can fire off a shotgun blast and maybe hit a million people with a viral thread or a viral meme more 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 accurately. But frankly, many of our opponents, many of the opponents to the church, they're blind guides. They're leading the blind. And if somebody doesn't claim to know Christ and they, 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 they come against God's church, who knows? Maybe it's actually God's will. Maybe if we had a politician in the area decide to come down on us, then frankly, if we got shut down, praise God, because ultimately we can let them alone. We can let our opponents alone. Why? Because they're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Those who follow fake believers will inevitably find themselves falling into destruction as well. So, sometimes it's okay to just let them alone. And then we we have uh, Jesus rebuking Peter in 1516 because he asked a dumb question. Can you explain to us the parable? It was dumb because actually Jesus probably- or Peter probably knew what Jesus was meaning. Um, how could you not? It's pretty clear. and then and then when we see the uh, the the conclusion of this, um, we see again that it's what comes out of the heart that defiles a person, not their not just their actions. But what comes out of the heart, he says that what a person eats, frankly, is not going to defile them. If you eat shellfish today, if you go home and you have shrimp, which is a dietary restriction not allowed in in the Old Old Testament, uh, you are not defiled. Why? Because when you eat it, it gets expelled, goes in one way and comes out the other. Jesus is making a poop joke. That's what he's doing. So what you eat is not ultimately going to defile you, but frankly, what comes out of your heart, what comes out of you, in your actions, what comes out in your affections, that will defile a person. And if you hold to some tradition as, as, as soundly as somebody holds on to a doctrine, then you are going to teach a man-made rule. You're going to conflate it to the point where that's just not good and not healthy that is going to defile yourself and it's going to defile others. If God has not specifically said, this is the way I want it, then we are within liberty to, to act differently. For instance, some churches have no musical instruments during worship. They Some of them even don't sing. Some of them just speak. So, uh, <laughs> So for those churches to look on a place like us that plays songs albeit from a from a from a system for them to say well you're not actually worshiping god where where is that commanded where is that specifically stated what about having drums in worship i just read some poor soul the other day talking about how drums conjure up demons and therefore you shouldn't have drums in churches. And, and, uh, I mean, I, 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 I read this and I thought, do I let them alone? Cause I had been preparing for this sermon. Do I let them alone or do I rebuke them? And, and, and it was, there were other people doing it. So I just let them alone, but, <laughs> but that was somebody who claimed to know Jesus. So does having drums in your worship automatically conjure up demons. No, no. Just read Psalm 150. There's percussion instruments in Psalm 150. Anyway, that's another thing. Uh, But Jesus concludes with this wonderful statement in verse 20, and I love it. These, the meaning, meaning all the things that come out of the heart, these are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. You do not become ritually impure by not following some tradition. If you guys go home tonight and you crack open a bottle of wine, and as long as you abstain from becoming drunk, guess what? You haven't sinned. If you go home tonight and you start uh, dancing to some tune on the radio, guess what? You haven't sinned. It's okay. I find it so silly when these traditions become things that are important. For instance, did you know that churches have to have red doors? Did you know that? Because in certain theological traditions, you have to have red doors. Why? Because the Passover lamb, the blood was was put on the awning. and, And so therefore, when you walk out of a church door, it has to be red. Otherwise, frankly, you have not had the blood of Christ washed over you when you left the church building. Do you know that? You're, you're unsaved as soon as you leave our doors. So guess what? Stay forever. <laughs> so so there, there are certain traditions that are conflated to these levels that are just absolutely crazy. And Jesus, Jesus calls it out. Meeting with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone. Therefore, in order to remind us of of some of the applications of this text, I have one and a half applications for you, because one of them is just an expansion of the other. Uh, First of all, we, we should have the faith to let alone many of our opponents, knowing that they're destined for destruction, even though they might even destroy us. There are many opponents to the gospel of Jesus Christ, many who claim to know him and yet teach his doctrine, the commandments of men, but we can't fight them all. We can't, we, we can't be Facebook warriors for Jesus. It's just, it's not going to happen, man. So uh, we, we have to be willing to entrust their destruction to the Lord. We, we have to know that they're going to fall to their hypocrisy one day. There's one very well-known pastor in Australia whose name rhymes with uh, Lion Buston. Anyway, there's one <laughs> there's one well known pastor of a very very, very big megachurch who's right now facing legal problems because he covered up sexual abuse of his father in his church. One day, one day no matter no matter who you are, the Lord is gonna catch up with your hypocrisy. And if you are the blind leading the blind, you're gonna find yourself falling. And so the second thing is that we have to examine our traditions by God's word. Uh, if, if if, If we as a church or if you as an individual have traditions that you hold dear, but they're untouchable to examination through God's word. If there's things you've been taught and then you come to a verse that might contradict it and you go, whoa. All right, save myself. You are in sin and you need to repent. You need your tradition, whether it's something you've been taught or something you do, examined by God's word. If if you've been taught doctrine by men who followed uh, Arminius or Calvin, no matter who, or 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 Augustine or Chuck Smith or Greg Laurie or Matt Chandler or Paul Washer or or the dude that uh, does that tent ministry in. Uh, uh, somewhere in the South, and he's always really angry and he yells at people that wear masks. No, ma- no matter what you've been taught, no matter who you've been taught, no matter what this tradition is that you stand before, if it cannot be examined by the Word of God, then it is false and it's worship of a false God. We have to have the humility to examine everything we've been taught. We have to remember that we should be examined constantly because we, in our sin and in our fallen nature, are so prone to being distracted from what's true and pure and good. So point 2A is that we have to make sure we're worshiping the true God. We have to avoid the hypocritical heresies of the Pharisees. By always making sure that we're looking to Jesus. I was not trying to rap, Elijah. That was not. <laughs> we, 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 have to, we have to guard not our traditions, but we have to guard our worship of the one true God. Only he is worthy. And anybody or anything who detracts from that worship is in a condition in need of redemption. We have to repent. We've all been taught that certain things are true. My mom who watches this, and she's gonna get all mad at me, my mom who watches uh, the sermon oftentimes will quote to me Benjamin Franklin and say that it's gotta be in the Bible somewhere. We have to take what we've been taught and examine it from the Word of God Nowhere in the Bible does it say a penny saved is a penny earned. I promise. So everything we've been taught needs to be examined. That's the only way that we can avoid the hypocrisy of the heresies. I'm sorry, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Now, Anyway, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, you have sent your one and only Son to die for us, to convict us of our sin, to bring us redemption by your blood. You, um, you are a good King, a loving Father. And Lord Jesus, you convicted the Pharisees of their hypocrisy and frankly it's so easy for us to fall into hypocrisy due to our fallen nature. And I, I pray that you would give us the conviction to repent. I pray that you would give us knowledge of where our traditions have taken taken the place of your word. And I pray that you would by your holy spirit grant us repentance of those. May we not be like the Pharisees, but may we bow to your word and your will above all else. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace, saints.